God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Coming to you live from high atop the EMR Tower in beautiful downtown Decatur, Georgia, center of the known universe. Thence, 23,300 miles directly into outer space this week, affiliates SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fluted plane to our vast EMR radio network. This week, 331 stations plus. That's just the way it is. The island of Guam. Speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. And we are glad to have you along on this special edition of the Real Estate Coffee Break. I remain unbossed and unbought. Speaking truth to power and committed to truth, justice, and the American way of making money. And here we are um, approaching Christmas, and this is my favorite time of year. I don't know about you folks, but more so than even Christmas, I consider the month after Thanksgiving to be my favorite time of year because there's so much going on, people getting ready for Christmas, and we here in this country have so much for which to be thankful. And I know sometimes it seems like, um, I don't know, it seems like our way of life is under assault and it seems like there are crazy people out there saying and doing crazy things. And, um, I, you know, there's so plenty to be upset about. But behind it all, I think we need to be thankful. And I am today, and I'm especially thankful for you guys because we've been friends for so many years now, and I appreciate the support that uh, Margie and I appreciate the support that you have given us in our business of trying to empower you guys to get out there and become financially free. And that's, uh, it, it happened to me. And I, I think I did everything wrong <laughs> and it still happened. Which <laughs> I, I was going to write a book called how I did everything wrong and still made a million dollars. But um, nonetheless, I hope that we can all focus on being thankful between now and Christmas. Um, 
and I just appreciate so much each of you, and I wish you and your families and your loved ones a wonderful, wonderful uh, Advent season as we approach uh, Christmas Day, and that'll be fun as well. Um, but there's a reason for the season, and I'll leave it at that. But um, thank you. And I am thankful uh, every day when I uh, get out of bed and say, Lord, thank you for another day. And that's where we are. Okay, so much for thankfulness. A special thank you also for our sponsors. The first is Thomas Jefferson, who brings us this quote for the week. Experience hath shown, shoon, shown, experience, experience hath shown that even under the best forms of government, those entrusted with power have in time and by slow operations perverted it into tyranny. I'll leave it at that. We don't need to go any further. We're also brought to you today by Home Meteorite Shield so that you can protect your home against deadly meteorite strikes. Now, the media, the fake news, has engaged in a repeated pattern of suppressing the truth about meteorites. But literally, there are millions of them out in space. Billions, b -b -b billions of them. Almost as much as, uh, never mind. In any case, there are a lot of meteorites. And for only $14.95 a month, you can get total and complete protection. Let me show you something. Here is a news uh, newspaper article that says, risk of comet hitting Earth is greater than previously thought. That should make you worried right now. And that's a researcher that said that. That's not just some guy that showed up at Moe's and Joe's and is drinking a beer. I mean, these are people that really know what they're talking about. And it says monitoring of space objects should include giant centaurs that could rain down debris um, for thousands of years. Do you want that? Do you want debris to be raining down on your house for thousands of years? I think not. And it's just prudent for you as an investor and as a homeowner to purchase insurance. And here's an actual photograph of a meteorite striking the earth. I mean, I don't know how they took that. I'm assuming Buzz Aldrin or somebody on the moon took that picture, but it's a remarkable photograph. And listen to this. In 2018, physicist Stephen Hawking, there's a picture of him there. We all remember Stephen Hawking. What a, a, a genius and somebody who triumphed uh, in his life. Uh, in his final book, and the name of the book was Brief Answers to the Big Questions, he considered an asteroid collision to be the biggest threat to the planet Earth. And once again, here, uh, below the picture of Stephen Hawking is an actual photograph taken from a asteroid that is about to hit the Earth, and you can see at the consternation on Earth there. Another remarkable picture. I understand this one. Margie, did this come from Hubble? Hubble Space Telescope? I'm not sure. 
it doesn't matter. Uh, we just thank goodness we have NASA out there doing this. Here's an actual photo of Ann Hodges in Sylacauga, Alabama. And, and you can see right here, we have a uh, college professor holding a meteorite that came crashing through her ceiling in November of 1954. And thank goodness there's a Sylacauga police officer there. I am assuming they arrested the meteorite for breaking and entering. But does that repair her roof? No. And you can see what, I mean, how nervous she is right there. Look up at her ceiling. Not good. You could have protection too. Here's an actual another NASA photo showing a meteorite striking the Earth. I just don't think you want to take a chance. So I would encourage you to consider home meteorite shield. Protect your home against deadly meteorite strikes. Here we have another photograph. It happens all the time. It's only $14.95 a month. And you can uh, call this number if you'd like to order it. Um, or you need to remember, of course, with the Meteorite Shield is sponsored by Americans for Democratic Action in Modern Society. So just make your checks payable to ADAMS and mail it to this station. Okay. Uh, we're also sponsored by our friend Peter Burke at Reliant Mortgage Solutions. And my friend, this is no joke. Today, we'll be talking with Peter about starting the conversation. And uh, you need to just jot down that uh, 678-557-9759 is the number where you can reach Peter, even during this holiday season, and even while you're having a cup of coffee during the real estate coffee break. Or for those of you who are of the younger generation, for example, how do you find out if you're a millennial? Look at your knees. If you have intentionally torn holes in your blue jeans so that your knees stick out, I think that makes you a millennial. But I'm not sure of that. Somebody better call and correct me. I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, we'll be talking to Peter a little bit later about starting the conversation. And I know you don't want to miss that. Just for housekeeping, please turn off your cell phone. Enter your questions, if you have one, in Q&A, and we will attempt to answer them. Don't put questions in chat because we're not monitoring the chat today. We'll be doing about 45 minutes before we get to questions. Um, and in fact, we're going to start today with a mailbag sequence because we have gotten a bunch of mail. People send their questions into radio at money99.com, and Margie gets them and forwards them to me, and uh, we're going to be answering eight or ten of the best questions we've received recently today on the air, and this will be fun. Um, as always, if you miss an edition of the Real Estate Coffee Break, you can get it in one of two ways. You can go to realestatecoffeebreak.com and all of the past programs are there. Or, or you can um, go to Spotify or Google Podcasts and you can uh, uh, sign up for the podcast. And what that means is as soon as Margie posts it, 
which is typically Sunday after church, um, it is notices sent to your computer, even if you're not on it, and it tells your computer that the program is available, and then in the background, I think it downloads. Uh, I don't know, but uh, it's available to you, and that's something you might want to check out. I'm not a big podcast guy, but I'm, you know, changing with the times here. So, um, and please use Q&A, not chat, if you have a question or even a comment. And this program is about your money and your real estate. And I don't care if you're an investor. I don't care if you're a real estate professional. I don't care if you're a homeowner or if you want to be a homeowner or an investor or a real estate professional. This program is for you. And we call it the John Adams Radio Show. We're broadcasting on the real estate coffee break. Uh, we normally spend about an hour together, and, and then I bring in my evil twin, Ian Robbins, and we talk about specifically about landlord-tenant type issues. But I believe, and I've demonstrated in my life, that you can retire comfortably on as few as 10 rental units. When I talked with Steve Nelson at Excalibur Homes recently, it was very interesting. I said, do you believe in your experience that somebody could retire on as few as 10 homes, he went like this. You see that? Isn't that great? <laughs> he believes four, four well-chosen houses managed properly over a period of years can provide you with a comfortable retirement. Now, we're not talking about living like, um, um, I don't know, um, the king of Persia here. Is there a king of Persia? I don't think so. We're not talking about living like Kim Il's son. I assume he lives lavishly. I don't know. In any case, we're talking about a comfortable retirement. Um, and the people that I talk to that have achieved this, I talked last week to um, one of our uh, one of our tribe members, those of you that follow this program and follow what I do on Fox 5 and in the newspaper from time to time, I call you my tribe members, and I'm sort of Chief Nakahoma. Have I just offended indigenous Americans? I didn't mean to. In any case, um, um, I talked to somebody this week, a member of our tribe, for many years who um, indicated to me that following our advice over a period of years, he had accumulated 25 rentals. And he said, John, it's been more fun than I could imagine. And it's been more financially rewarding than I believed possible. And for those of you that, you know, started 10 years ago and bought a house a year for 10 years, I hope you've experienced some great appreciation just in the past 12, 18 months. Um, I know we have on some of our rental, most of our rentals, actually doing quite well uh, in terms of value. And I think that's widespread. I don't think that's unique uh, to particularly well-chosen properties. So um, I also like to bring to your attention the quotes of Warren Buffett from time to time, because I think 
there's a reason he's called the Sage of Omaha. Um, I've been on the stage with Warren Buffett. I've met him personally, shook his hand and talked with him about his business and my business. Um, he is a fascinating individual, very uh, down to earth and not at all uh, haughty. Um, and, and just, uh, you'd think he was just a normal businessman. Anyway, he says, uh, the most important investment you can make is in yourself. And I believe that is true. So my question to you is, what is your annual education budget? I think you need a budget. Um, I don't care if it's, you know, $1,000 a year or $5,000 a year. I just think you need to put money aside to pay for staying up to date, keeping the saw sharp. Because if you don't, you'll fall behind. Either you're moving ahead or you're falling behind. You can't just stop. And I know a lot of people think they can just stop. It, that's, that doesn't work. And if you want to invest in yourself as a homeowner, as an investor, or as a real estate professional, I want to invite you to the uh, Real Estate Marketers Cruise, which is coming up at the end of January, not this January, but a year from now. Now you're saying, John, why in the world would you invite me to an event that is almost 14 months away because the ship is filling up. Carnival Cruise Lines has experienced a massive resurgence of business and it is absolutely a tremendous bargain. We're gonna be leaving the last week in January for uh, out of Miami on the Carnival Freedom for eight nights in, I think, the Eastern Caribbean. I know we're going to uh, San Juan, and I'm not sure where else we're going, but I'll find out. Anyway, you can go right. Margie, is uh, Expo up? Yes, you can. Let's go there right now, just for fun, and see what it looks like. I'm going to pop out of here. I'm going to pop into here. There you go. There's That's the Colosseum in Rome, in case you have not been there. It is fabulous. I mean, you've got to go to the Colosseum in Rome, but that's beside the point. Let's go to expocruise.com, expocruise.com. There it is, the amazing. Expo Cruise 2023. I call it the Real Estate Marketers Cruise. Um, we have been calling it sort of like an expo where we have different experts in real estate come in, not to sell you anything, but to teach you what is working for them. And that's what I find exciting. It's January 28th to February, February the 5th. And it's a year and a couple of months from now. Okay. So we go to Amber Cove, which I've been to. Amber Cove is a beautiful place uh, in the Dominican Republic that is essentially owned by Carnival. And they've done everything right. San Juan, Puerto Rico. 
which of course uh, is a what do you call that? Is it like a protectorate of the United a territory? I think it's a U.S. territory. Is that right? I don't know. St. Thomas, which is in the U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, and I've been to I've been to San Juan. It is beautiful. I've been to St. Thomas. It is beautiful. And St. Martin of this group, well, maybe San Juan. There's a lot of history that goes on with St. Martin. And we'll be talking more about that as time. But anyway, you're going to be joining like-minded real estate professionals, entrepreneurs, internet marketers for seven days, eight nights of fun, food, mastermind events, and cruising. And 70% of the time, we're just going to be having fun together. Why should you go on this cruise? The answer is because you're going to be stuck with me and Peter Burke and Hans Trupp and Margie Bowman Adams for eight days. And we can't go anywhere. I mean, like we can when we go to Puerto Rico, we can go into a restaurant or something. But for most of the time, we're going to be on the ship, which means we can talk about your individual situation. And I'm just telling you that that's worth a lot. You'll also learn what's happening um, with the, um, the industry of real estate, the housing industry overall. But go to expocruise.com. We've got some more stuff there. Look at those. Oh, that we have destinations. We have fun and new friends. We can only take a limited number of people uh, because it's selling out, but there'll be networking and learning while Caribbean cruising. And you can book now, and it says your deposit is refundable until XXXX, but the answer there is until September of next year. Okay? So, you know, and the deposit is only, what, 500 bucks? Something like that. I don't know. And you can get all the details. Just uh, go here to expocruise.com and fill out this thing right here and click submit. And um, so I'll, we'll, one of us will give you a call back and we'll talk about it. This is a lot of fun. And we just got back from one of these and it was just a blast. So, hey, you deserve, you know what? You deserve a vacation. After all that we've been through, oh no, it doesn't seem like this um, um, COVID, every time we get ready to kill it off, they come out with a new reason we have to keep wearing a mask. I am so sick and tired. Anyway, I have to admit this, Carnival Cruise Lines went above and beyond their duty to make this thing sparkling clean. Our rooms were sparkling clean. The food service was handled in a very safe manner. Whenever, you, for example, whenever you get, if you're out on deck in a public area, um, you don't have to wear a mask. But if you are like in an elevator or an enclosed space with a lot of other people, they encourage you to wear masks, but it's optional. Yes, we had to be vaccinated. And yes, uh, Margie and I've had the booster shot, but I'm just telling you, 
the, the cruise line did a fabulous job, I thought, of making sure that there was not going to be a problem. Um, and I was very impressed. And the food was great. How can you complain when you get one night all the filet mignon you want and another night all the lobster that you want? And I ordered three. I can make a three symbol here. Three lobsters. Now, these were not like big lobsters, you know, like a baby. Uh, these were smaller, but they were delicious. And so start thinking about that. Okay. I have to now go back to this and this. So this, I recommend that you consider investing in yourself for 2022. Go ahead now and say, John, I'm coming with you and Marge. I know you guys are going on this fabulous trip in January of 23. We want in on it because we're going to have some meetings and things before then, and I want you to be a part of it. But it should be part of your annual education budget. We'll talk about tax deductibility another time. And here's another of my favorite quotes from Warren Buffett. Risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. Duh! My question to you is, do you know what you're doing? I know you know what you were doing 20 years ago. I know what you were doing. You knew what you were doing 10 years ago. But do you know what works today? That's one reason you're participating in this program. But that's another reason that you ought to consider going on the cruise with us. Because we're going into detail. It's going to be a blast. You know what? I may get Buck Lanford to come on this thing. He could be our MC. I don't know. We'll see. Um, by the way, here we are in December all of a sudden. I want to remind you about the problem that we've all had at one time or another, at least most of us, with frozen and broken water pipes at our home and our rental property. And I just encourage you to act now. First, you need to notify your tenants that cold weather is on the way. Your, your big months are December, January, and February, and this will not happen as a result of an overnight cold snap. This is going to have to be sustained sub-freezing temperature for two or more days, uh, more likely, um, in order to bust water pipes. But it sure as heck will happen, and Atlanta is in an area that in the past has seen tremendous damage from frozen and broken water pipes, and it is not covered by your insurance. But if you're using my killer lease, the tenant is responsible for taking routine steps. And if you notify them in advance, either by email or text or letter or all three, or even phone call, that they have responsibilities, they're much more likely to take it seriously. So what are we talking about here? Well, Consumer Reports says, and here's a list you could give your tenant. Keep garage doors closed, especially if you've got supply lines in the garage. How many stupid people leave the garage open thinking, well, oh, I guess it makes any difference. Close it. That's going to save you broken pipes, too. Open the kitchen and bathroom cabinet doors 
to allow the warmer air to circulate around the plumbing. Very few people know to do that. And yet, especially if these areas are located on an outside wall, which kitchens usually are, bathrooms usually are. They have a window to the outside to let sunlight in. And that's an area where you're going to have cold coming in from the outside. So if your sinks are on an exterior wall or you have other uh, water fixtures there, make sure the cabinet doors are left open. And then if they have children, obviously, they need to take precautions there as well. Let cold water drip from a faucet by exposed pipes. I had some idiot environmentalist call me one time and say, this is not sound advice and I'm not willing to do it. I said, look, knock yourself out. Um, my tenants are required to do this if there's a danger of frozen pipes. We're just talking about a trickle here, but the moving water um, brings water in that is not frozen because it's been underground. Underground is a warmer temperature than above ground, at least in Georgia. And if you have that warmer water coming in, it tends to prevent frozen or at least broken pipes, even if it's at a trickle. So uh, tell people that, that that's not optional. Number four, keep the thermostat set to the same temperature day and night during weather that threatens to freeze pipes. Okay, a cold snap is not the time to, to set your thermostat back to 36 and wear a sweater and try to save a few bucks. Because let me tell you, the plumbing bill for a couple of broken pipes is going to be 500 bucks. You don't want to fool with that. If you plan to be away, this is what caught us one year. There was, we had most of our tenants at that time were students or graduate students or employees of Emory University. And of course, the university shuts down between Christmas and New Year's, which is not at all unusual. Very few people work during that time period. A lot of these people went home to Pennsylvania or Michigan or wherever they went, but they turned their thermostat way down and then they were gone for five days. Guess what? We had busted water pipes all over DeKalb County. Not good. So warn them if they're leaving town, not to turn down the thermostat when they leave and tell them they need to notify you if they are planning on leaving town so you can um, take proper safety measures. And then the long-term add insulation to attics, basements, crawl spaces. We all know to do this, but insulation does help maintain a warmer interior. And uh, a lot of it's inexpensive today. So, okay. Um, I would like to talk with Peter Burke, if I can find him. And I don't know if I can find him or not. Margie, is Peter out there? I think she said yes, but I hope he is. Anyway, we'll see. Uh, one, one of the things I was hoping to talk with Peter about is the idea, I think we have a tendency as um, investors, as home buyers, even as home sellers, hoping later to buy a home, you know, empty nesters or buying your first home or moving up the ladder, if you will, or as real estate professionals, 
we have a bad habit of waiting until we have a specific need before we start the conversation. Are you finding, Peter? Margie has left me. Oh, okay. Peter is not on right now, so we're going to come back to this. But my suggestion to you folks is going to be, it's smarter to start the conversation with your lender before you need that person, because they bring a great deal of expertise and experience to the table that will help you in the planning process. Whereas if you wait until ever the stage is set and then bring in a lender, there's only so much they can do to help you. And what I want to talk with Peter about, and we'll get with him a little bit later, um, is how we start the conversation. So um, what I'm wanting, oh, Margie and I are going to do the mailbag now. It is 34 minutes after the hour, and we're going to go to the mailbag. And how do we do that? All right, here we go. Going to the show. There we go. I'm going to stop sharing the screen, and I'm going to ask Margie to join me, hopefully, on the air. We'll see. By the way, folks, you should be able to get us side by side on your screen by adjusting the little box in the upper right-hand corner. I don't know if that works or not, but nonetheless, there she is. And you can always tell us, Margie, by the fact that all you see is this from her forehead up. And it's very different than mine because mine has no hair and hers does have hair. But speaking of Peter Burke, I think he's joining us right now. So that being the case, um, I'm going to head back and we're going to talk a little about conversations, starting the conversation, if you will. Uh, and I'm lost. <laughs> uh, share screen. Here we go. Uh, Sharing screen one, share. Hmm. Ah, there it is. And there it is. Good. And I think this is a good time to start the conversation. I hope Peter will join us in just a second. But there are some specific reasons that I would like for you to start the conversation with your lender. Now, Peter Burke at Reliant Mortgage is an experienced and um, I call him a master lender simply because he brings with him accounting background that and business background that's extremely helpful in crafting a package that will get accepted by underwriters. Now, I'm now using... Um, uh, industry lingo that you don't need to, you don't need to know what an underwriter is. You just need to know that it's the loan officer's job to put together a package of applications and supporting information. Okay. And we call that 
the the application, the whole thing, and submit it to the underwriter. And the underwriter's job is on behalf of either the federal government or whoever is ultimately going to guarantee this thing. Um, they look at it and say, does this make sense or not? And um, it's very interesting because um, underwriting, you can't talk to the underwriter. And the underwriter will never talk to you. They will only talk to Peter or to the people that are supposed to talk, they're supposed to talk to. And that doesn't. All right, Peter is there. Peter, are you with us? I am. Can you hear me, everybody? I can't hear Peter. I'm here. You can? Peter, say hello. Hello, everybody. Well, hello, that's everybody. weird. I hear Peter through. No, I can do it right here, I think. Peter, are you with me? I am, John, and good morning, it, everyone. What a what a joy to have you here. Um, well, and I don't you. understand why I can't hear you. I think I may have you. Are you? No, you're not muted. This is weird. Mm -hmm. Well, in any case, um, Peter, let's take a look at um, some reasons why people should, as I said earlier, start the conversation with their lender long before they're actually looking for a house. Whether they're an investor, whether they are a homeowner, whether they're looking to trade up or trade down or buy that first house or, or the property on St. Simons or Hilton Head or wherever. Why, Why should someone start talking with you now? Get prepared and get ready so when you're ready to submit an offer, you can close quickly and efficiently. And um, it gives you an opportunity to address anything upfront that um, maybe you didn't realize you needed to, to complete beforehand, such as filing your tax returns. Well, let's go through five reasons that you and I had talked about. The first thing I think that's important is it sets realistic expectations. Yes, absolutely. I mean, how many people, Peter, have this idea, well, I'm going to go out and buy a $2 million house, and they may even get it under contract, and then come to the sad realization that they're just not going to qualify for that. Yes, yes. And that, I mean, that makes everybody mad, and it certainly makes the buyer disappointed. So even though we don't know what the rate is going to be in the next several months, we hope it'll be attractive, but we just don't know. You can still give us a realistic idea of, of the price range we should be looking. Correct? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Very absolutely. good. Number two, if I can bring it up here is you can still shop around, you know, is there any reason somebody couldn't call you today? And say, Peter, John said we should start the conversation. So I want to start the conversation. And you talk with these folks, help them with a little bit of planning and whatever, and maybe even get pre-qualified. And at some point in the future, in the unlikely event that they found out that they qualified for some incredible mortgage, uh, you know, only for people born on Mars, 
And, and although I think Reliant Mortgage, do you have those loans for people from Mars? We don't, John, not from oh. Mars. Okay. You don't get a lot of demand for that. No, well, no. Let's but, say somebody qualified for that. They could still go to a different provider. Is that correct? Absolutely. There, you have no obligation. Um, there, there is no charge for talking with us. And we realize um, we are, you are not bound to us. Um, and you are welcome to go elsewhere. If you find a lower rate, we understand it. We don't think you will, but um, um, that's the great thing about us. There's no obligation. You can get pre-qualified and move on elsewhere. We understand it. All right. Well, that's super. Number three is in today's market, being pre-qualified helps catch seller's attention. I'm going to ask you to talk about that a second, because we are seeing from the agent's view, lots of offers that are simply above asking price. Yeah. And sellers are pretty much calling the shots. I, I think in this environment where it's not uncommon, you're paying above asking price, which somewhat implies that the property may not appraise that seller and their and the listing agent want confidence that if you're going to write an offer that's going to exceed the asking price and there's a possibility that the property won't appraise they want confidence that you have the ability to complete that transaction by paying your down payment and that additional amount above the appraised value um, just because you write the offer that way, they want that confidence that you know what you're getting yourself into. So it is well, vitally and, important. And in this market, a seller can, they can demand that and they are. Yeah. So, uh, and there are some ways around a slightly low appraisal. Uh, I said earlier that you were experienced and brought expertise to the table, but I know for a fact, this is one of the things you've helped people with in the past. Right, yeah, that issue of properties that don't appraise and how to wire around the problem, always uh, available to talk through scenarios. Okay, very interesting. Number four, you'll finish the paperwork earlier. Yes. And there is a lot of paperwork. And I, I know you guys and... Uh, you've got some loan processors that are wonderful. I've sent some of my friends. Uh, what is that gal's name that Sante helps you Christy. so much? Shante and Christy. That Christy. Yes. They they are dynamite. And yes. it's as if they somehow know what the underwriter is going to ask for and ask for it in advance so that it's not a surprise. But it's so much easier with this paperwork, if you get on it ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, we're very big on, let's get a full file up front. Let's get everything documented so we can close efficiently on time without any problems of asking for uh, missing documents. So we we do, uh, Christy and Shante do a great job in that regard. Well, I, all I know is I keep getting these emails and letters from um, members of uh, friends of, of this show and uh, other 
uh, connections and business associates that I send over there. And they say, it's a joy to work with these people. Most of them don't like you very much, but they like your very people true. a lot. Yeah, that, that goes without saying. Yeah, yeah. okay. All right. <laughs> and finally, number five, it helps you know what you'll pay at the closing table. Yeah, yeah. We have to tell you that up front. And we, we have to make sure that we're fairly accurate. Otherwise, we can be responsible for some of the differences if we underquote. And so it's vitally important. You know, I would say, Peter, that this is one of the areas, especially for uh, an inexperienced purchaser, somebody who may not have been through this process before, or it's been six or seven years or more, this is a major change because yeah. I remember 15 and 20 years ago, people coming to the closing table sometimes with particularly an out-of-state lender or somebody who's, you know, using an online lender where communication is difficult, um, showing up at the closing table and bursting into tears because they had no idea that they would need that much money and they didn't have it. Yeah, it doesn't happen anymore, but it requires time up front. Yeah, it doesn't happen, but uh, it used to be a problem. Yeah. Well, I, whoever came up with that idea, they win the John Adams Memorial Award for this week. Uh, and, the Obama administration. I'm sorry? It was the Obama administration. Well, we one. continue to reap so many benefits from that time period. Yeah, there are some good things like, that came out of Obamacare. Yeah. I I went the other day and had I always forget what it was. They poked me in the uh right here in the carotid artery and sent a television camera down into my heart to look at it. And it was only at the hospital. This was Northside Hospital. I was there for about, I don't know, two or three hours. And I got a bill for $17,000. <laughs> we're, we're, Peter, you and I are in the wrong business. Yes, that's true. We could be tag team surgeons. Yeah, 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 I guess. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I'm going to stay. I faint when I see blood, especially my own. So do I. So <laughs> we better do something else. Peter Burke can be reached today at 678-557-9759. Peter, if a millennial happens to be listening and wishes to text you instead, is that an option? Absolutely. Feel free to call or text. Well, I, I never did texting until my contractors required it. Yes. Yes, you are welcome to call or text me with questions. All right, very good. Folks, do that. Peter, I hope you had a wonderful and warm Thanksgiving. I did, thank you. And uh, I hope uh, everyone has a safe rest of their weekend. Well, I, I feel confident that they will. I want you to know that uh, I devastated about a 13-pound turkey on Thanksgiving Day. And I'm not sure the turkey population will ever recover. 
<laughs> I, I like turkey and, and we margie made all the stuff that goes with it and it was just i guess a very traditional thanksgiving meal but well that's good it is that's good, good. That's and we nice paid day. at winn dixie 59 cents a pound oh that was a bargain that's what i thought and i yeah, sent a thank you note to president biden Oh, well, very good. Were you on St. Simon's or were you in? We uh, were. We, oh, very we good. We're here in beautiful downtown Decatur right now and hope to visit my mom either this afternoon or after church tomorrow. Uh, but on Thanksgiving, we were on the island and the weather was just perfect. Excellent. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. So as you know, we go back and forth. I mean, we've been asked to leave both neighborhoods. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you're joking, John. Oh, well, maybe. All right. Peter okay. Burke, 678-557-9759, Reliant Mortgage Solutions. And I guess the, the takeaway from our visit today, I'm going to encourage people to start the conversation. Have the conversation. All right. That's Alrighty, it. everybody. Thanks, Peter. We appreciate it very much. All right. Alrighty. Super. Thank you. I Talk want to, you. to, it's 1150. And what I'd like to do is ask Margie to come on. And let's see if we can do a mailbag question or two. There you look how nice you look. You <laughs> look you. great, but Thank I still you. can't hear you. Um, I've got to turn this thing on. Are you there? Yes. Isn't that odd? I'm not me? getting I'm not getting either Peter or you over the sound system. Let me see. I'm not muted. Um this is so weird. Maybe you're on the wrong speakers. How would I know if I was on the wrong speakers? Well, just turn up the one beside you and let's get going. Well, that's what I've done here, but uh, <laughs> I'll help you after this. So, okay, here we go. Um, we have some questions that came in over the uh, internet, and I just thought I would ask you to sort of ask me these questions. And let's share some ideas with our listeners. Wait, what is that? What what is that red fur ball behind you? This? Yes. Uh, it's Tito. Oh. Hello, Tito. <laughs> there there is a rumor that Tito is an awesome dog. Yes, that's what I hear. All right. Okay, well, are you ready for some questions? Um Yes, I'm ready for questions. You go okay. right ahead. The first one is from Katie in Decatur. Uh, Katie says, is Zillow really gone? That is a good question, and the answer is no. Um, and I think from all the headlines that we saw in the last week or 10 days, um, it sort of appeared that Zillow was um getting out of real estate altogether nothing could be further from the truth what happened was that in my opinion their most aggressive uh foray into the housing market 
which was called Zillow Offers, um, we saw that Zillow, after investing very heavily in Zillow Offers, which was their instant buying service, after investing very heavily, they got caught with their pants down around their ankles. That's what I call a word picture for those of you in Smyrna. Um, and decided very quickly they had to get out of that business. And they had some 7,000 homes under contract that they wanted to get out of. In addition to that, they had thousands and thousands of homes for sale that were listed at prices above what they were actually worth. And so they are going to take a hit against profits of hundreds of millions of dollars um, and they have decided it's best to get out of that business and they had boldly predicted that they were going to for the most part replace traditional real estate agents and brokers with this new instant buying service and they went so far as to create Zillow Realty of Georgia, which is a licensed broker. I don't know what happened to their agents. Uh, supposedly, they were not on commission. At least that's what I had read. So I, I don't know if they're still employed or if they've been let go, but I do know that Zillow had touted um, the Zillow Offers Program as the future of real estate sales and listings. And they have since decided we got to get out of this business fast or it's going to take us down. So that's what crashed and burned. The very popular website is still there. Agents are still paying Zillow to get referrals from people who go look at other agents listings and then say to Zillow, I'm interested in knowing more about this property. And the amount they pay, those agents pay to Zillow, which I think of as a kickback, um, is remarkably high. It's in many cases in excess of $1,000 a month. Well, I personally, very briefly, find it offensive when someone has, when, let's say you have a listing and somebody sees it on Zillow, <clears throat> And then they send it to some other agent who knows nothing about the listing. Well, that's case for it. I find that offensive. I understand. <laughs> and it's interesting to me that this situation developed largely because of the inept handling of the website Realtor.com by the National Association of Realtors. And it was a fiasco, um, and they entered into an agreement with Zillow that uh, they just didn't understand, and they so gave does away. Realtor.com. I'm sorry. Does Zillow own Realtor.com? No, but real the National Association of Realtors does not own it either, and so NAR is attempting to compete with Zillow, but they can't do it 
because NAR doesn't want people to know that they're for sale by owners out there when everybody does know they're for sale by owners out there. And they can go to Zillow and they get the for sale by owners, but if they go to realtor.com, they don't get them. So it's, it's, they have crippled themselves. And I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. And this harkens back, as we like to say, in the day. Or what's the other thing they say? In days of yore. <laughs> well, well, this was before there was a multiple listing service. Right. And I was at a company called Barton and Ludwig Realtors. And Barton and Ludwig published their own listing book. They were that big. And if you wanted to, you could go by Northside Realty and borrow a copy of their book, but you didn't have a key to their property. So you had to call a Northside agent to make arrangements to let you go in and show their property and co-op with them. Well, that didn't work very well. It worked well for the brokers. It didn't work well for the public. I think the situation we had pre-Zillow was best for the public. But this is what happens when an industry fails to understand the technology um, that supports that industry. And that's what happened with the Realtors. So I'm sorry that it did happen. But by the way, I need to remind everybody before we get to our next question, Realtor is a, um, a trademark term indicating a member of the trade association, some people call it a union, um, of real estate agents. A realtist is a member of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, which is a different um, real estate trade organization, uh, which got its start during uh, segregation when African-American brokers in Atlanta and other parts of the nation were prevented from being members of the National Association of Realtors. And that was wrong. Uh, their response was, we don't need you. We'll start our own. And they did. And while it's not as big as NAR, I can assure you that there are very active chapters. We have one right here in Atlanta, and it's called the Empire Board of Realtists. So I just bring that to the attention of folks. What? Does this mean that not everybody who is a licensed agent or broker is necessarily a realtor? Well, right. Anybody who wants to uh, assist the public in buying or selling real estate must be licensed. When you are a licensed agent, you are called a broker's associated salesperson. And you are allowed to act on behalf of that broker. Typically, if that broker happens to be a member of one or the other or both of those trade associations, then you are automatically a member of one or both of those. However, many, many people, including me for a number of years, chose not to join one of these trade associations and to conduct themselves legally 
as brokers and salespersons um, in the state of Georgia. So the question always arises, what advantage is there to being a realtor and or a realtist? And the answer they would give you is realtors and realtists subscribe to a code of ethics. Does that prevent a non-member from subscribing to their own code of ethics? Not in any way, shape, or form. So, uh, but I guess the, the takeaway there is to know who you're hiring and have confidence in their ethics and their knowledge and their experience. Okay. You ready for another question? Yes, I'm ready for one more question, and we're going to take a break. Cartersville uh, says, to buy 10 little houses over the next 10 years and keep them as rentals, should I consider getting real estate license? You know, this is sort of a follow-up question to what we just talked about. Um, one of the things I recommend people that listen to this show consider is buying a house a year, maybe for 10 years, and building a portfolio of clean, decent, affordable rental houses that will carry you through your retirement with a cushion. The question is, do you need a real estate license to do that? The answer is no. Um, you're not offering your services to the public um, and you are not required to be licensed. So now the question becomes, would it be worthwhile? 20 years ago, I would have said yes, but, but in the 90s and around 2000, the public clamored for more regulation, if you will, of real estate agents. And so a series through a series of changes, both at the legislature and at the Georgia Real Estate Commission, and remember, the Real Estate Commission applies to everybody, uh, not just realtors or realtists. Um, and they added a series of continuing education requirements to licensure as a real estate agent or broker in Georgia. They have also added a pre-license course and a post-license course, and all of these things are required. In the meantime, <clears throat> I think all of us would agree that in the United States, we have increasingly moved toward a litigious society. People are suing for anything and everything now. And so as a result, an agent and certainly a broker are well advised to have errors and omissions insurance. We just call that E&O. Um, and the E&O companies like it um, if you are a member of the Realtist or Realtors because those people tend to be more structured and they have their own internal disciplinary organizations or, or structures, if you will. Um, I would prefer, I'll tell you what, if you are wanting to get an inside scoop, an inside look, at how the real estate industry operates, 
how people get paid, how deals are put together, how to work with attorneys and commissions and lenders and all of that stuff, I recommend taking the pre-license class. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you can usually find it for about 250 bucks, which I think is a very small investment. Occasionally, a broker will offer free a pre-license class uh, as a way of attracting potential agents. But again, the, the money barrier is not very high. And it would give you a real inside look into the business. However, beyond that, in terms of actually taking the exam and placing your license with a broker and engaging in the post-license um, continuing education and all that jazz, I think it is largely for the investor a waste of time. And so, and that's a change in my opinion over the last 20 to 30 years because of the changing in. We should revisit that another day because there are advantages to being licensed. Oh, no, no question. As my friend Hans Trupp uh, says, and he's right, he says in the real estate industry, there is a lot of money, or in the housing market, there's a lot of money sloshing around. And if you stick your hand out behind your back in the right place at the right time, some of that money's liable to fall into your hand legitimately and legally just because there's so much of it out there. Um, I'm also not in any way dissing the career of being a full-time real estate sales or marketing professional. It's a wonderful calling, but you very likely won't achieve financial freedom. Whereas the two most important things that an investor can do are see a lot of houses and make a lot of offers. I'd much rather you spend time learning how to do that properly than learning that the ridge board is the highest piece of construction on any dwelling. And that was on my broker's exam. And somebody had told me ahead of time, this question is going to be on the exam. And I thought, that is so stupid. Why do I need to know that the ridge board? I got into the exam. Sure enough, there it was. What is the highest piece of construction in any dwelling? A, ridge board. B, floorboards. C, basement. D was a door frame and I picked A and I got it right and so I got my broker's license. So, but that's not really relevant, I don't think, to investors. So, hey, good Q&A, good mailbag today. What do you think, Marge? Okay, good. Well, why don't we do this? Let's take a short break um, and have an intermission here. I'll take care of that. And I uh, would remind people to call Peter uh, and start the conversation today. But um, I'm also going to click here, go here, and then do this. Watch this. Four, six. Oh, that didn't work. I think I have to be, I do, I have to be in it. Okay, 46. That didn't work either. Oh, 
Well, there it is. Anyway, we're going to take a very short break. Don't touch that dial. We'll be back in. And we are back. At least I hope we're back. Let me make sure. Yep, I think we are. And this is the second hour of the John Adams Real Estate Show. We call it the Real Estate Coffee Break. As usual, we have our share of technical issues today, um, which I'm very confused by, but that's okay. I don't understand. Huh. Isn't that crazy? Oh, that's camera. All right, let's turn it off and see what happens. Now, all right, I'm trying to change cameras here. It was, I had it, well, no, that's not it. Hey, that worked. Oh, <laughs> this is first class, people. I am so impressed. Okay. Um, what I would like to do, that's no good. That's too far down. That's better. Okay. Um, first, I'm going to get rid of South Pacific, a great motion picture, if you have not seen it. And we're not going to do that again. Thank you. And so what I'd like to do... Um, while we find Ian, and I know he's out there somewhere, and Marge will have to dig him up, but she'll do that in just a minute. Um, we do have, I'm looking at Q&A here. We've got a couple of Q&As, but they are so brief as to be difficult to know exactly what the person meant. Um, somebody says, Margie, you're... You have feedback on Mike. We need to work on her mic. We have always had a problem with her mic. Fortunately, my evil twin, Ian Robbins, has no problem with his mic. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hello, John. I'm doing great. How about yourself, sir? If I were any better, I'd be twins. Well, you look great and um, really appreciated Peter Burke giving us some good, timely advice. Well, you know, Peter is... Um, it's interesting to me because he brings to the, t I know everybody has to get started. And when I got started in real estate, I was 22 or something like that. And yes, I had been in Dr. Andrews class. And so I knew something about real estate, but I certainly was not what you would call experienced. And a friend of my parents wanted to sell a beautiful home in Victoria Estates, which is over by Emory, and I thought, oh, this is perfect for me, and they should use me. And, of course, they didn't. And they called somebody they knew from, like, Harry Norman. or and, well, By the way, Harry Norman is a wonderful company with a wonderful tradition. So many friends over there. So I'm not surprised that um, Jack called them, but I was crushed. Well, now I feel like I've got a little experience, <clears throat> and I could probably be more helpful to people than I could have when I was 21. Peter Burke is the same way. Let me tell you, he brings a wealth of experience and expertise to the, t to the table to help people accomplish their real estate objectives, and one part of that 
is the financing. But that doesn't mean he doesn't know about a lot of other areas, and and I just think it's a real benefit. So, how has how has your Thanksgiving week been, sir? So far, so good. We're back on track. I had a good time with family, and these next couple of weeks, we get into uh, working, and then right away, we're into Christmas, right? Well, and Hanukkah snuck right in on us there, didn't it? Oh, yeah. We're on day number seven or eight. Not sure. Just came real close to Thanksgiving. It happened one year. It's not going to happen for a couple of decades now, but real I close. was about to ask, was this an early Hanukkah? It was definitely early, um, but there was one year that it actually ended up in Thanksgiving. Um, but somebody looked it up, and that won't be until like 2060. So we don't have to worry about that one again. I'm, I don't think I'm going to worry about it in any case. Well, um, I say whatever the tradition, um, anytime we are tasked to give thanks and, and to stop and pause and reflect, I think it's a good opportunity for us to say, hey, we got lucky. We were born into the greatest nation the world has ever seen. Is it perfect? No. Do we have room to improve? Yes. But talk about opportunity, and you and I see it every day. So I guess that's why we're here. Hey, you, um, this is your hour. You have a choice. Do we talk about that repair and deduct uh, strategy that you were kind enough to send me from the AJC written by somebody who has no clue what she's talking about. Or, but fortunately, I do. Or do we talk about five reasons that the market is not going to crash in 2022, the housing market? I'm going to take a repair and deduct for $300, John. All right. You bing, 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 bing. You win the daily double. Because right. we have uh, repair and deduct. Yeah, I have that. <laughs> says here tab, but I don't have it. All right, hold on just a second. This is just going to take a minute. Um, what did I do with that repair and deduct? I know I put it in. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. 82. I've got to be in slideshow. 8-2. There. How about that? Excellent. Okay. Um, the article that you sent me, which I have chosen to not put on the screen, um, was written by a cute little girl who looks about 13 and she apparently has a degree in journalism from Columbia, which is very distinguished. Um, Columbia University in New York City in Manhattan is, if you've never been to the campus, it's a fabulous place to go. Um, however, it is crime-ridden, so be careful. <laughs> I would go during the daytime only <laughs> because it's in uh, north of Harlem and it's a little bit rough. But nonetheless, a, a great institution of higher learning, and I'm sure she is very well educated as a journalist. However, as a 
expert in landlord-tenant solutions, she's somewhat lacking. I think she should go to the Ian Robbins School of Landlording at Georgia Real Estate Investors Association and attend your um, uh, landlord subgroup for a while to try to get her feet on the ground. Um, Which we will then re recommend the book Landlord Survival Guide for Georgia. So you I'm, are correct. I'm for and, that. Uh, and I, if, if I wasn't so cheap, I'd send her one, but I don't think she'd read it. And I'm sure she has no idea who I am or that I wrote for the paper for 20 years, but nonetheless. Um, but, you know, but she did something good in the article that I appreciated and that I think you picked up on. And I think the essence of her article at the AJC was that landlording, landlord-tenant law in Georgia is favored toward the landlord. Yes, and that, that's important and that's great for us in Georgia and many other states. Some states it's a little different, but I think the repair and deduct is an issue that really hits home because you've taught us basics that really stick with me all the time. And that is this first sentence, the land landlord has the legal duty to maintain the ability of the premises in, in a, in a pair, in, in essence to repair. Um, so I appreciate it. you. You taught, you taught us landlords repairs, tenants pay rent. That's that. If, if Thank you. If you take the entire Georgia landlord tenant law and boil it down to one phrase, it's the tenant has to pay rent and the landlord has to make repairs, period. Now, what happens, and this was the, the article, uh, what happens when the landlord refuses to make needed repairs? And this always comes up. And it's called repair and deduct. And it's big among um, tenant advocacy organizations. They think it should be just a standard procedure if the landlord isn't doing what the tenant wants in as fast as the tenant wants, then they can just take it out of the rent and everything's okay. Well, guess what? You can't. So let's look real quickly from a landlord's perspective, and you can chime in as well. I'd love your thoughts. Um, in the event that a tenant wants a repair done and the landlord decides to not do it, and by the way, this always results from a lack of communication. And you and I have stressed the importance of open communication with our tenants. And uh, a tenant is a valuable asset. They're paying you, uh, they think, a lot of money. Um, and if you think about it, it is a lot of money over a year or multiple years to rent the property. And so the from common law has come certain requirements. And one is the implied warranty of habitability. In other words, while this is not written into the law, it is implied in the law that if I rent from you, you have to make the house habitable. It has to be safe. It has to be habitable. You and I, Ian, have talked about this before when we talked about the landlord's duty of care. It's right up there with duty to repair. 
Um, this author says each state has specific laws, which is true, but typically the implied warranty guarantees the premises are structurally sound, contain working plumbing, heating, and electrical. Notice nothing is said about air conditioning. And it's interesting to me that tenant and tenant advocacy agencies have come to the conclusion that air conditioning is now part of the implied warranty of habitability, meaning if my air conditioning is broken, um, I can't live there. Well, I John, went John, to you're, you're giving too much credit to the tenant advocacy groups. It's the cousins and the mother-in-laws. That's <laughs> <laughs> not the tenant advocacy group. I get more. I've had many screaming mother-in-laws, and you don't have air conditioning, so uh, I like to buy extra air conditioners and pop them in there, and they can live in one room, and then everybody can take their take a deep breath and wait for the HVAC guy to show up. And I think that's a brilliant solution because, one, you can pick up window air conditioners when they go on sale, like now, at a reasonable price. And, two, that's part of that communication. You heard the tenant say, I don't have air conditioning and I want it, and you responded in a timely and reasonable manner while you decided what to do with the broader issue here, which might be central air conditioning. But anyway, uh, typically involved is uh, structural soundness, working plumbing, heating, electrical, and that the property is free of rodents and pests. And by the way, I have separated that. And under the killer lease, I have made the tenant responsible for pests because um, I asked them to look for pests when they move in. And of course there aren't any because we've treated the property, um, uh, which we always do between tenants. And if pests, which I think of as things like bees and, and uh, cockroaches and um, stink bugs and things like that, if they get inside the house, it's because typically the tenant has not gotten the trash out in a timely manner. If you keep the trash on the outside, the pests tend to stay on the outside. So we are responsible, I don't say so, but we are responsible for rodents because the county is going to require that. As far as pest control is concerned, I've made that the responsibility of the tenant. That has not been adjudicated. However, the lease contains provisions outlining the landlord's duty to repair. And this is what you and I have tried to point out for months and months now, that the lease is critically important because as a written document, it tends to control the agreement between the parties. Now, we can't put an illegal purpose in the lease and expect it to be enforceable. So, for example, um, let's say we put in the lease that after five days, there is a 5% late fee, and at 10 days, the tenant has the right to take a 9 millimeter pistol and kill the tenant. Now, I personally think that's reasonable. I, I mean, hey, 
I got a, I got a mortgage payment to make, you know? So either pay me or I'll shoot you. But actually, that's not funny. What, wasn't that terrible, what that kid did? Where was that, in Michigan? That's very sad. Uh, I'm what? more concerned about the guy who ran over six people at the oh. parade. Oh, oh, oh. And both of those were preventable, is what gets me. Anyway, I digress. No, no, actually, John, you're bringing up an excellent point because when you brought up that PI, when you had that PI attorney come on, he talked about prevention and uh, repairing is part of prevention. And it's actually a good point. I mean, of course, the terrible things in the news, but as landlords, being in front of problems is an excellent idea and it makes for long term tenants and happy tenants and PI attorneys to work with somebody else. Well, and and specifically, he was talking about that case, uh, that terrible case in California where there had been a fire. The father and his girlfriend got out, but two young boys unfortunately perished in the fire. And they had already, within a week, filed a lawsuit against the landlord. And, uh, uh, you know, you can't bring people back, but were there... Uh, unsafe conditions that had been discussed, and apparently there were. At least that was the allegation of the um, plaintiff in that case. So anyway, uh, you're right. Prevention is a, a very important part of this, and communication, I think, is a part of this. But and John, I, I think also real world is something important because as our listeners should, I think, what I like to promote at the landlord subgroup is Definitely repairs are part of the business, as well as if you have a good team and you have people that you can call to make repairs, then basically you're going to be successful. But if you go in it with everything's perfect, you're going to be very upset and your tenants are not going to be happy. And you to win win, if I love not love, that's the wrong word. I I understand when I have to pay every week vendors. Because the tenant essentially is paying for it because of the cash flow that I'm making because I learned how to buy properly from John Adams. You might think I'm blowing smoke, but if you have enough cash flow, it's their money. There you go. No, I, I, I agree. So uh, let's look at repair and deduct and see where it could come into play in Georgia. And I'll share with you my experience with it. If the repair in question affects the habitability of the premises or is specifically covered in the lease. So, for example, if the refrigerator is left with the property but is not covered in the lease, if it breaks, I don't consider that an issue of habitability. And so I'm not going to replace the refrigerator. Now, I'll tell you, you have two choices. I can get you a used one for $10 a month, or I can get you a new one for $25 a month. But I'm not going to replace a used refrigerator that's in there because they break all the time. So, whatever. Once the tenant establishes the landlord's duty to conduct the repair, let's say the furnace goes out and it's wintertime, he can inform the landlord of the issue and act if the landlord refuses to make the repair. I agree 100% if the hot water heater... By the way, did you know that Yankees just call it a water heater? 
I mean, I know for it's a hot water heater. It because when you heat the water, what temperature is it? Hot. Hot. So it's a hot water heater. I I don't understand Yankees. They come down here, they marry our southern women, but then they don't leave. And they don't describe water heaters correctly. That's right. Delta is this what I say to all my Yankee friends that complain. Delta is ready when you are. Excellent. You're on it today, John. All right. So the first thing that should happen is that the tenant should immediately inform the landlord in writing. You'll notice in the killer lease, we require that all repair requests be in writing. And what that's the reason we did that is not to make it difficult for a tenant. It's to make sure that the tenant does not leave a, a, a telephone message that somehow gets lost or not delivered or, you know, when you leave a message, it could go out in the ethos. Who knows? And, and that is not legal notice under my lease. Under my lease, I want the tenant to hand me a piece of paper or mail me a piece of paper or even email me a piece of paper that says, this is what the defective condition is. Here's why it is vital for my uh, habitation, and I'm asking that it be repaired in a timely manner. So in many cases, the procedure for notification is specified in the lease. That's me. In either case, the landlord should receive reasonable notice of the repair, an ample opportunity to fix the condition. And this is important because, again, as you say, mothers-in-law, or as I say, tenant advocacy organizations, have a tendency to feel like, well, if, if the hot water's out, all you got to do is snap your fingers and it's fixed. It's not that simple. And some repairs are much more complex or time intensive than others. And um, if notice has been given and the landlord has failed to make the repair in a timely manner, what does timely mean? We don't know, but it has to be reasonable, a reasonable time period. Then the tenant can attempt, and I stress the word here, attempt, to repair and deduct. Can they get away with it? Well, unfortunately, the only way to find out will be to go to court. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So my, my comment to a tenant who's threatening me with repair and deduct, and by the way, my lease says very clearly, Ian, if you make repairs, you are responsible for paying for them. And you still have to have my permission. And if I just say, if you do it without my permission and I have to go back and fix it, I'm going to charge you for that too. Thank you, John, for putting that in the lease. That's excellent. Well, there it is. So here's the process. In many states, including Georgia, the tenant can repair and deduct the cost from the rent. Now, here are the conditions. The tenant should notify the landlord in writing that he intends to use or to employ the repair and deduct remedy 
to address the problem. The tenant should get multiple estimates and keep all copies of receipts and statements related to the repair. And then when the rent is due, the tenant must pay the rent minus the cost of the repair and submit all of the paperwork to the landlord. If that happens, and it says here, tenants should be sure to spend a reasonable amount and the repair should only cure the defect and not improve the property in any other manner. It's important that the tenant clearly inform the landlord that he intends to hire someone to make the repair and deduct the cost from the rent. And here's, here's the, the stinger. The landlord may still argue that the repair was not required or that the costs were unreasonable, but hopefully if the tenant has been forced into this position, they can demonstrate that they followed proper procedure. The bottom line is it's going to end up in front of a judge. And as you and I know, and our uh, viewers know, um, magistrate's court in Georgia is pretty quick. Um, if we went, for example, into uh, Superior Court, it might take a year for a case to come to trial. But in Magistrate's Court, if we file a uh, dispossessory warrant alleging that the person has not paid the rent, which they haven't, um, it, they'll probably get served in a couple of weeks and probably end up in court with you uh, a week or two weeks later. Now, right now, I think the courts are running a little farther behind because we're still sort of catching up from COVID. But I heard from somebody the other day that DeKalb County was moving right through their caseload as expeditiously as possible. So I don't know if they're caught up or not. But the point here is you're going to end up in front of a judge who is not an expert in hot water heaters. And the judge is going to try to determine from the information that you present and that the tenant presents who acted reasonably here. And they may decide the tenant's right, they may decide you were right, or they may decide to cut the baby in half just like King Solomon did and, and give each side some relief. And of course, we don't know that. That's why I strongly recommend to my landlords, don't put your tenants in this position. If they do it themselves, they're going to lose in court because they didn't notify you. But if you get notified that somebody intends to use the repair and deduct remedy, that's a call to action for you. And you need to get yourself or your handyman or whoever it is over there to assess the situation. And by the way, I would begin addressing, as soon as you became aware of the issue, I would begin, one, addressing the issue in writing with the tenant so that they know you're aware of it and that you're working on it. And two, you should document these things. Because if you end up in court and don't have documentation and the tenant does, you're probably going to lose. 
In contrast, if you have documentation and the tenant doesn't, they're probably going to lose. And if you both have documentation, that's when it becomes a toss-up. And in my investments, I don't like a toss-up. <laughs> I, I like to know I'm going to win. So um, as it says down here, you still have the case of arguing that the repair was not required. Um, uh, for example, if a hot water heater is not working because the tenant didn't pay the water bill, wait a minute, <laughs> hold a phone. How can you expect hot water when your water's been turned off? Exactly. So I send a plumber over there, pay $200, who finds out that the water's turned off uh, because the tenant didn't pay the water bill. Um, the If I can document that, then the judge is probably going to come down on my side. If, on the other hand, it, it really just, let's say, um, all of my hot water heaters are natural gas, and they have a device called a thermocouple. It's a safety device. It costs about 25 bucks, and you end up paying 100 bucks to have it replaced. So for 125 bucks, you get a new thermocouple. They do go out after a few years, and it's just something that a handyman can do, as well as a plumber. Um, although with a plumber, you're liable to pay 200, and a handyman maybe half that. Um, but the point is, if that's all the repair entails. Yes, I think I have a responsibility to do that. And then the question becomes, what is a timely manner? And again, th the judge is going to say to him or herself, I want to put myself in the shoes of the plaintiff, which is the tenant, and in the shoes of the landlord, which is the defendant, and try to figure out what was reasonable. It took three weeks to replace the thermocouple. That's not reasonable. They, was, they were without hot water for three weeks when the reality is they could have sent somebody over there that afternoon and had it fixed by the next day. It wasn't an unusual problem, okay? If, on the other hand, the tenant didn't even notify you in writing but just called a plumber, wait a minute. I, I should have a right to do the repair myself. I'm the landlord, I'm the owner, and if you don't give me that right, I expect the judge to uh, honor my lease agreement and to have given me a reasonable opportunity to address the issue. I'm gonna ask you to just talk a little about this because I know, Ian, in your experience, you've run into this before. Has anybody ever attempted to repair and deduct against you? Not as formally as we are talking about here, but John, everything you're saying is so real world and I appreciate it. And um, just a couple of thoughts that the first thing I would say is what I say often at the landlord subgroup is go to court. You will see this in action and you will see it done correctly and, and incorrectly. And you'll see real world judges making decisions and as good as John Adams is, um, the, the judge is going to underline it and explain it uh, um, in a different way, but and John will it'll be verified. Um, the next thing is, you know, I appreciate your last point about, well, I just called the plumber and got it done. 
No, that's not right. That's losing control. And, and now you've got a much bigger problem. Uh, I, I also go to the point of notice and getting several estimates. In my experiences that you've asked about, a lot of times they want to bring in a friend, either to give him the business or because he's got an opinion. And uh, now you're getting into problems. But the point here about getting several estimates, now it's a whole different story. Now it's giving you time to do what you need to do and, um, and then make a decision. Um, I also think many times they're motivated and your definition of reasonableness is different than theirs. And therefore, that's where you have maybe not necessarily a court case, but in what seems to be an unhappy customer. But they, it's because there is a lot of money involved in rent. But to, to take it out of the money right away, I have a question for you, John. Um, gets a little technical, but it's from the Landlord Survival Guide. So let's make believe the rent is $1,000 and the plumber was $200. And they send you back, they send you for the next month, $800 and the $200 bill, because that's what we're talking about here. How would John Adams respond? I would um, notify them that, and unlike many people, we will accept partial rent if the person has a history of paying the regular rent on time. There's a reason they sent the partial rent. I need the money, let's get, if it's $800 out of $1,000 rent, let's put that in the bank first, and then we'll talk about the other. I would notify them in writing that they were behind on the rent uh, by $200, and that we had reviewed the receipt and were unable to process that because they did not follow the proper procedure for repairs, which must be coordinated through the property manager. And we regret that they failed to follow that procedure, but that they had paid that $200 and that uh, they would have to send in a check for $200. We were prepared to waive the late fee due to the misunderstanding if they got the money in within seven days. Well, John, I appreciate your answer. May I respectfully disagree on a couple of things? Okay, please. So I get it, and um, and I appreciate what you said, that you're going to communicate with them as well as you're going to um, uh, try to work it out with the $200. Uh, maybe I'm a little too clear-cut, but what I would do it differently is I would send back the $800. Wow. Uh, and then I would come back and say, you paid for the plumber and you didn't let me know. And here's your late fee. Now I might waive the late fee later, but I need to grab the control quickly. And many of our listeners will go with what you said and others will go with what I said, but I, I don't have the time. <laughs> Just a little busy here to, to, do the math and know that they are, I can handle the math. That's not the issue. The issue is keep track of the $200 and get paid. I'd rather make it cleaner. And I would argue also that in terms of fair housing, I'm treating everybody the same. So I can now document how I sent it back. And by the way, in my pre 
pre-paperwork, I tell them I'm going to send it back. And because I'm insecure, I have them write in it in their own handwriting that I'm going to send it back. And but everybody does it differently. But it's a well, great discussion. And, and I have no issue with that. You have decided to take a 100% business-like approach. And that is, uh, I, I think, in order for a landlord to be successful today, you've got to treat it like a business. Um, I One of the things I, I settled on years and years ago when I first wrote Landlord Survival Guide was you should treat your tenants the way Georgia Power treats their customers. Um, they're always polite. They're very efficient. Um, but they're not going to let you get power and not pay for it. But they're always, they are painfully polite. And so if you call up and say, I can't pay my power bill, uh, is there anything you can do for me? They're going to say, yes, we'll give you a choice. You can have your power turned off this afternoon between 3 and 5 or tomorrow morning between 9 and noon. Which would you prefer? <laughs> That's, you know, you were hoping for, they would say, well, you don't have to pay then if you don't have the money. Wrong. Beep. Wrong answer. And, um, I, I, you know, I think each landlord has to look at it in terms of their own personality. I would agree with you that most landlords need to err on the side of business-like, and I hate to use the word cold, um, but it's, it's almost, I had said it, it years and years ago, that I wanted my tenants to think that real estate services was a nameless, faceless bureaucracy that didn't care about human beings. And while I've moderated my tone a little bit here in the 21st century, uh, I still think there is a value in responding initially in a very aggressive business-like fashion. And I applaud you for that, sir. Well, I, I thank you, John. I, I appreciate what you said about in writing that you're working on it. Unfortunately, if you get that call on, on Monday because they're cold and the, the heat went out, they do expect it Monday afternoon. And the real world is that Everybody else is calling the heating and air people, and it may not be till Thursday. Right. But if they had their friend come in on Tuesday afternoon, and then next thing you know, you're in court, something went wrong, and going to court and learning how to solve the problem, I think for our listeners that we can keep moving on, is, is really a very important detail because repairs are part of landlording. Sure they are. Now, I have another hard question for you, sir. Yes, sir. You Love it. And I did send this to you that it may be a little too deep for this discussion. And Margie will keep us focused. But yes, anyway, I am <laughs> um, in a situation where one of my best mentors taught me we have a, a moisture issue underneath some flooring. And my mentor, one of my mentors said, 
the last thing you want to do is pull up that flooring when the tenant is around. And because of several estimates, it could be a very easy solution or a lot of repair. And because of other issues, um, it could be an extensive repair. So my question is, I've been notified in writing about the repair. It could be very extensive. Do you do it? What do you do? Do you do it while they're there, living there, or other remedies? Well, uh, is it accessible from another area? Can you get at it under the house, or are you going to have to, sure enough, pull up floorboards? Pull up floorboards. So now they're going to lose the kitchen. Maybe, personally, I'm hoping it's very little. But because of other issues and the lease expired, and seriously about the kill of the lease, the kill of the lease talks about not renewing the lease. And I don't mind telling them what my remedy was, was I didn't give them 30 days. I didn't give them 60 days. I gave them 90 days. And I'll be good for 90 days. They're going to leave. And if they don't, I'll do a holdover eviction. But I can get in there correctly, probably less expensively. And thanks to this show, I'll raise the rent and get a higher security deposit. So, but I'm there curious about, but I'm curious about what you would do for an extensive repair. And yeah. they're good tenants. Let's say they're good tenants and they're paying on time. This one's not. Uh, for that, here's just as off the top of my head. The first thing I would do is I would have my handyman purchase one of those. Um, oh, when we did lead-based paint. We sold a million of them. Those whole body suit things and, and a mask and a, a ventilator. And I would say that we wanted to examine the area that we believed the issue was located and that there might be a discharge there. There's a very remote possibility that there could be some discharge uh, at that time and that we... Uh, requested that the tenant vacate the property for a six-hour period on whatever day the tenant is going to come. Um, and I, I, that way you can get your handyman in there, tear that up, do what needs to be done. If, if it's a big, big job at that point, at least then you know what you're looking at. Because right now we just don't know what we're looking at. Obviously, we hope it's a minor repair. But um, if it's moisture, it's got to be addressed, and um, I would I would want them out of the premises because if you're right, if they see you pulling up floorboards, all of a sudden they're going to start freaking out. Um, and I just think it would be better if they were not there at the time. That's that's what I would do. So, and you know, you don't always have that that opportunity. I've got a house, we notified a tenant um, this past week, by the way, the, the lease says 60 days notice, <laughs> and I just gave them 30 days, so they called back and asked if they could have an extra week. I said yes. <laughs> oh, John. So, so now we've got them accepted that they're going to be out in five weeks, uh, which is sooner than I'd hoped anyway. But... Uh, we need to go out there and figure out what's going on because we're going to do a renovation of the house and probably sell it. You ought to buy this house, by the way. 
This is my house in Austell. I'll buy it and I'll do the renovations. How about no, that? No, 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 I'll no, no. Buy it as is. No, no, no. I bought it as is. I don't sell things as is. Um, this thing's going to be cute as a shiny new real copper penny when we get done with it. And we're by the. Let me ask you. I digress. This is a tiny little house, like thirteen hundred square feet. If you had to put in new heat in there, would you go with a heat pump? or gas both are available i don't know john i can't, can't i think uh, i think a heat pump would be cheaper it's not as good a heater um but i think it's cheaper and i'm gonna find out and i will watch and report back here because right should. now it, it's a furnace a whole house furnace, but they've got window air conditioners, and I want it to be central air, which puts it, I think, into a different price range. But anyway. Um, well, John, one more comment. To, to, okay, to please. Yes. From a hard question, just to bring it back to a easier. I, I have a best practice that I love to share with our viewers, and that is um, any vendor that comes to a house, I'm usually on my way to do a moving estimate, so... Um, I always ask this question, are you away from the tenant? And I want the tenant, I want the contractor and I to have a discussion in their truck. Then I can get an honest appraisal about what's going on. And this may not sound right, but I think it's appropriate that they don't need to hear all the details. They just, if they just I need to make my repair, but I can make my own decisions without a lot of pressure. Well, and the other thing that has happened to me, if you don't do that again and again, is that the tenant will expand the repair to include things that are totally unrelated. So while you're here to fix the hot water heater, um, the sprayer on the uh, kitchen faucet, it doesn't spray. Could you just replace that while you're here? And the plumber saying, sure, no problem. Because it doesn't make any difference to him. Right. And and so all of a sudden, now you get the bill. Who said they think about a sprayer? Well, the tenant said it was part of the problem. And then you call the tenant and they say it had to be replaced. It was broken. You're exactly right. I tell my vendors, do not talk to the tenant. Just tell them you're there, and if they have any questions, that you're not authorized to answer any questions, and if they have any questions, they must contact their property manager. Absolutely, John, and, and I think my vendors have figured that out, and I have fun with it. I say, listen, I'm the one writing the check, and I think they get it, and, and I think they'll come back and say, I know, and actually, I think they do know. I also tell my vendors, if if I get a bill later and somehow this job has gotten expanded and it hasn't been approved by me, you're paying for it. <laughs> they don't like that at all. That's even like, better. That's they, even don't, better. <laughs> they don't like that at all. All right, folks, it is 1.03 p.m., and it is time for us to get out of here. And the way we're going to do that is go right here to our repair and deduct page. And I'm going to enter 8-0 and enter. That didn't work. Oh, i got to click it. Here we go. 8-0 and enter. That didn't work. There it is. 
All right, so Ian, it's time to go. Another great edition of the Real Estate Coffee Break is now in the books. Again, excellence in money radio. That's the 3 0 Mark IV, the John Adams Radio Show. And on behalf of my evil twin, Ian Robbins, this is John Adams, reminding you your financial future is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. Make your choice a good one. So long, everybody.